Evening team, how you going? You are a team, you know, working together for Jesus. We talked to the AGM today about what our church has been up to and where we're headed and one of the things I'm hoping we uh, get to this year a lot more is outreach, is evangelism and I'm keen to hear from any of you if you're interested in, perhaps even maybe interested in uh, being involved in evangelism and I've heard from two of you already and that's exciting and I'm keen to hear uh, from more of you. Keep your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 18 and there's also an outline of this sermon on the back of your handout if you want to take notes. If you're someone who's prone to get sleepy during a sermon in the evenings as I am, perhaps taking notes or drawing those little curly snail shell circle things will be a good idea for you. They help me. I'll pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you so much for your word, the Bible. We thank you that it's absolutely true and it's absolutely trustworthy And we pray now, Lord, that you clear our minds from distractions and soften our hearts to receive your word with thanksgiving and then change our behaviour by your Holy Spirit to be more Christ-like, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I went up to study at Moore College to become a minister, I worked in two different industries. I worked in the fire protection industry and the explosion protection industry. And I worked for my best mate's dad. Uh, His name was John. He was the director of both of the companies. And then under him was a managing director for each company. Steve ran the fire side and Tony ran the explosion side. And just in case you were wondering, we tried to stop fires from happening and stop explosions from happening rather than create them. Although there was this one time where we went to a testing facility and created explosions. If you want to hear more about that, that that was fun. I almost got hit in the head with shrapnel one day. Anyway, that's another time. Another story, another time. Um, On Friday, sometimes John, the big boss, would take us, the office staff, out for lunch. There's about eight of us, perhaps. And we'd be out for lunch uh, for half an hour or 40 minutes, and then Steve would get a bit kind of wriggly in his seat, and that was the cue for the fire protection office staff to head back to the office. Then about 10 minutes later, he'd get a bit wriggly in his seat again, and that was his cue for me to head back to the office, But John would say, the big boss, Steve, you head back to the office and Gav and I will be right behind you, which really frustrated Steve, Uh, but he would go back to the office and then John would proceed to spend another half an hour with me talking to me about whatever, sometimes the gospel, which was cool, but whatever, we'd have a further conversation. And I felt really special and I felt really important and I felt really significant because the big boss wanted to spend some time with me and even my boss got sent back to the office and I was there. So I felt really special and I felt really important. And I think it's very normal for us all to enjoy feeling important and for us to enjoy feeling significant. And I think it's a God-given trait in us that we search for significance in the world. We want to matter to other people. We very much want to be cared for. We want to matter to others. One of the greatest dehumanising punishments for a human being is imprisonment. Imprisonment says to you, we as a society don't need you in the society anymore. We can function just fine without you in our society. We're going to put you in jail. Solitary confinement then, when you put on your own in jail, is an even greater statement to you that we don't need you. We're going to remove you from your community, which has been removed from the broader society, and put you on your own. We so don't need you. You're that unimportant in our society. 
So the greatest, the most extreme, the pinnacle of all statements to a human being that you are unimportant and insignificant then is execution. You are so irrelevant, so unimportant. We're going to kill you and it won't matter for our society. We'll keep going on. This world doesn't need you anymore. Friends, in the ancient world, the most unimportant and insignificant people were criminals and the state, that is the Roman Empire, did not waste valuable resources by imprisoning people when they have to keep feeding them and all that kind of thing. They just murdered them and often they murdered them on a crude Roman cross as a warning for all the world to see that you might not be a criminal yourself. And our transfigured, glowing, glorious Lord Jesus was willing to make himself the pinnacle of insignificance and unimportance in the eyes of the world by dying on a crude Roman cross for the sins of many, including us. Our Lord was willing to become unimportant and insignificant in the eyes of the world for us. But at no point, even when he was forsaken by his Father on the cross as he cried out, was Jesus unimportant or insignificant in the eyes of his Father. Indeed, we saw just last chapter that God spoke from heaven in the transfiguration and said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus is of utmost importance and significance to God. We've known since chapter 16 that to follow Jesus means to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. And here again, Jesus is helping us to understand what does that mean exactly. And the way he's trying to explain it to his disciples and to us, his disciples, 2,000 years later, is you must become like a little child. You must become like a little child. When you become a Christian, you're not automatically like a little child. You must become like a little child. That is, you must become be willing to become insignificant, unimportant in the eyes of the world. So what does that look like for you? What does that look like for me to become unimportant and insignificant in the eyes of the world? How do we do that? Are you willing to do that in response to Jesus' call to you tonight? Well, our first point is become like a little child. It's what Jesus requires of his disciples, and he makes it clear in the first few verses of our chapter. Look again with me at verse 1. It's on the screen. Preferably look in your own Bibles on your lap. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him. He placed the child among them, and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change... And become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Following the transfiguration of Jesus, I reckon the disciples were like, Woohoo, this guy, look at him, he's, he's glowing, he's awesome, he's mighty. Things are looking up for us. 
He's about to conquer the world, and we're going to be right here, front row seats, and they're jockeying for position. Jesus, who's the greatest? Is it me? Is it Peter? Is it John? Who's the greatest in the kingdom other than you, of course, is their question for Jesus. They're vying for the top spot. Now, Jesus, he has a peculiar response, a peculiar answer to them. Now, picture the scene, friends. There's 13 men standing there, 12 disciples and Jesus himself, a group of 13 blokes. Many of them are ex-fishermen. They're probably big and strong and stinky. And Jesus finds a little child and he brings them into their midst amongst these 13 men. And they look down at him and he looks up at them. These big trees. And Jesus says, you must become like this child to enter my kingdom of heaven. The little child has no power to change his circumstances, no agency among adults. She wears what her parents put on her. She eats what they feed her. She goes where they take her. Little children were loved, certainly in the first century. It was a blessing to have children, but they were unimportant and insignificant to the culture at large. And this is Jesus' very point. You must become like a little child. Adults, on the other hand, like to assert themselves, as the disciples have boldly just done. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? We want to know. Adults like to rely on their own strength and intelligence and power to generate their own agency and do the things they want to do and go to the places they want to go. Don't you? You like to rely on your own strength and assert yourself and do what you want to do and go where you want to go. I do. Jesus says... We need to change. All of us, you and me, we need to change. We need to change and become like a little child in our relationship with Jesus. Entirely dependent on him. As if we are powerless, which we certainly are in comparison to him. If we don't change, Jesus says in verse 3, we will not even enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, friends, self-assertion, self-preservation, that's pretty natural. That's very normal. Dependence on another is not natural for us. We need to change. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's a command from our Lord. We must deny ourselves, be willing to die to self and throw our lot in with Christ our Lord to constantly seek the glory of him and not ourselves. It will mean losing glory in the world. will become unimportant, insignificant in the eyes of the world. It's a daily commitment that sets you on a road that leads you to humble yourself like a little child day in, day out, as you seek to serve others. What a coincidence that this passage has come up tonight. 
in line with Ben's announcement about serving Sundays. No coincidence. Ben's very bright and God's sovereign. We must humble ourselves and seek to serve others wherever we are. If you're a follower of Jesus, you'll be keen to serve at church, not just be served. If you're a follower of Jesus, you'll be keen to serve at school, at university, at work, in the community. Now, this is where the rubber really hits the road. If you're a follower of Jesus, you'll be keen to serve at home without being asked (laughs) or told multiple times. You'll be keen to serve. You'll be keen to love your brothers, your sisters, your parents, your children, and to serve them in any way that you can. To consider others more important than yourself at all times. That is humility. A child's unable to assert themselves in the world. They don't have the strength. They don't have the wealth. They don't have the power. Jesus says, even though you might have the strength and the wealth and the power to assert yourself, don't become like a little child in your relationship with me and a servant in your relationship with others. Then secondly, Jesus gives this dire warning to those who not only fail to be humble, but actually use their power to exploit the weak. And he doesn't pull any punches, and I really like it. Verse 5, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come. But woe to the person through whom they come. Now, first verse first, Jesus broadens his petition to not only become like a child, but as Christians to welcome little children. But then he makes extraordinary statement that Anyone who cares for and welcomes in the one whom the world finds largely unimportant welcomes Jesus himself because they are important to him. Such is his love for the little children that to welcome them is to welcome him. And it's at this point we start to see he's not just talking about little kids. He's talking about all those in his kingdom, particularly the lowly ones, particularly the children, particularly the weak, particularly the marginalised ones in his kingdom, those who believe in him. One of the things that I love about our parish is our very, very high priority, not only on children's and youth ministry, but on safe children's and youth ministry. And protection of the vulnerable, not just kids and youth, but anyone who might be vulnerable. We have a high priority on protecting children and youth, on safe ministry. We ensure that all of our children's children's and youth ministry leaders are safe ministry trained, and we ensure that all of their safe ministry training is up to date. 
And if you've had an email from Kate recently saying you need to get your safe ministry up to date, please take it very seriously and get on it as a matter of urgency. Make sure you get trained at Jesus urging, Jesus urging here to care for the little ones well. From the great privilege of welcoming Jesus himself as we welcome little children, he now issues this incredibly dire warning. And again, I feel it's a warning that our church does already heed and we need to continue to heed it. Should one cause, should, should we cause one of Jesus' precious little ones to sin? Should anyone cause one of Jesus' precious little ones to sin through deliberately leading them astray or even accidentally leading them astray because we've been lazy in our training or our listening to our Lord? It would be better to have a heavy millstone tied around our neck, not a small one, a heavy one, and be tossed into the sea, not Harrington Park Lake, the sea. In other words, our fate is inescapable if we lead little ones into sin. Woe to the world if it should be a channel for leading little ones into sin. And Jesus promises, sadly, that our world will be a channel for leading little ones into sin, and we must be cautious not to be involved in that. Otherwise, <laughs> Jesus' warning is against those who would leave his beloved children astray, especially the lowly, especially the weak, the marginalised, the little ones who do not have the ability and the power to defend themselves. You're better off dead he says, than to lead his little ones astray. Thirdly, not only are we to ensure that we don't lead his little ones astray, but we are to ensure that we don't go astray ourselves. We must be careful not to fall into sin ourselves. Verse 8, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. He continues with the extreme teaching. It's better for you to enter life, that is, eternal life, heaven, maimed or crippled, than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Jesus is blessing us with an eschatological view of this life. Eschatology is the study of end times. Jesus is teaching his disciples, that is us, live now with the end in mind. It doesn't matter what the world thinks of you now. It doesn't matter if you're insignificant in this world. What matters is what your heavenly Father, with whom you'll spend eternity in heaven, thinks of you now. We live a short while, just 80 or 90 years if we're blessed. And we all know very acutely at this time and painfully that some don't get that long. Their lives are cut much shorter than this. But the life to come is not 90 years or 1,000 or even 10,000, but more. When we've been there 10,000 years, 
we'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. Live this life with a life to come in mind and in view. If your hand causes you to dishonour your glorious Father in heaven, who you live for, who your life is headed for eternally, cut it off. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. A word to the men and possibly the women. Gouge out the object of your gaze if it's causing you to sin. Please, dear friends, be brave and gouge out any pornography that might exist in your life. If you're young, do it now. If you're old, it will be much harder. But do it now anyway. I know the stats, and I know that in a group this big, some, if not many, are viewing pornography on some regular basis of some description. And we need to gouge it out of our lives as followers of Jesus. Talk to Jono, talk to Ben, talk to me. You will not to be made, you will not be made to feel ashamed. You will be listened to, you will be cared for, you will be supported, and you will be helped to escape the treachery and the power that is pornography. Jesus is not saying to literally gouge your eyes out. I don't want to be responsible for any self-mutilation of people next week. What he's saying is take really extreme measures to cut sin out of your life. Really extreme. Perhaps for you, it's greed. You have to have the latest thing, the latest gadget or article of clothing or something. Perhaps for you, it's slander. Do you say things about people you wouldn't say to their face or you wouldn't say in front of your nan? Do you gossip Jesus is saying, take extreme measures to cut out sin from your life. Gouge it out. Because sin can lead us efficiently into the fires of hell. Fourthly and lastly, Jesus moves back to the little ones again. Not necessarily children, but the little ones. The believers in him who may be weak, lowly. But that should be all of us, shouldn't it? As followers of Jesus, we ought to all be lowly, as our Father in heaven is lowly. And Ben, I think it's been a while now. It's probably time for another plug to read Gentle and Lowly, if you haven't read it already. It's fantastic. Look at verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go back to look for the one that wandered off? If he finds it, truly, I tell you, he's happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. There's not acceptable losses here for God. He's not willing that any 
of those little ones should perish. Do not despise little ones. That means don't ignore the followers of Jesus, particularly those who might be weaker or more powerless. Kids, the lowly ones, the weak, the sad, the vulnerable, the downcast. Don't despise them. Our culture around us might despise them, but don't you despise them, says our Lord Jesus. And again, I don't think our church does. And I hope you don't despise those who might seem weak or lowly to you. In youth group, I hope you older ones look after the younger ones. At night church, I hope you who've been around a while look out for the ones who might be new or younger or a bit shy or a bit different. Why? Because the angels are watching. It's a bit strange, isn't it? What a bizarre verse. The angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Angels are talked about a lot in the Bible. Hundreds of times angels are talked about. There's not a lot of evidence in the Bible to suggest that everyone has a guardian angel. I'm sad about that. I'd love to have a guardian angel. I think it'd be great. But I mess up so many times that I'm pretty sure I don't have one. (laughs) What this passage is saying, I believe, is that God and his angels are watching and caring for the flock. There's a lot of evidence in the Bible to suggest that angels care for God's people. They tend to them, they minister them, minister to them. There's no way that we can despise one of Jesus' little ones and God won't see it. He cares deeply for his little ones and he and the angels are making sure that they're okay. They're watching out for the little ones. If you are one of the little ones, if you're feeling lowly or downcast, be of good cheer. God is looking out for you and his angels are helping him. God cares for the little ones. He's ever watchful. Even if one out of a hundred of God's sheep should go missing, our God is a God who's willing to be dramatically inconvenienced and goes searching for that one until he finds that one. And when he does, he's overjoyed, even more overjoyed than he is about the 99 who are safe. Who He's also overjoyed about that, but he's even more overjoyed about the one that he found. And then he brings back to the flock safely. Our God loves his children dearly. And he loves those who are lowly. And that's all Christians who are willing to become like little children before Jesus. Those who are lowly, defeated, beaten down, marginalised, considered unimportant or insignificant in this world, you are not unimportant or insignificant to God. Should you go astray, God will come and find you and bring you back to his flock. I wonder, are you feeling downcast tonight? Are you feeling unimportant, insignificant, overwhelmed? God loves you. You are not unimportant to him. You are not insignificant to him. You are of extreme importance to him. And should you go astray, he will come and find you and bring you back 
such as his love for you all. What does this mean for us? Well, firstly and obviously, we must, we must become like little children. That means dependent on God, not ourselves. Showing our dependence by reading his word and obeying it. Showing our dependence in prayer. Asking for God's help in all things. Asking for his wisdom in all things. It means not being afraid to be unimportant or insignificant in the world's eyes. In your school, in your uni, in your workplace. You might be marginalised for following Jesus. At least in your workplace, increasingly, you probably are, unless you're in a Christian workplace. Marginalised, unimportant, insignificant, because you follow Jesus, but not in God's eyes. You are his precious child. You are significant in the eyes of the Lord. Depend upon him, become like a little child in his safe arms. And secondly, it's from that place of humility before God that we're best able to serve others. When you truly understand that God is taking care of you and all your needs are met in him, you don't feel the need to self-serve anymore. You're kind of released from yourself to serve others. As we humble ourselves before God, looking to him for strength, rather than throwing our weight around and needing to assert ourselves at home or at school or uni or work, we find more and more opportunities to serve. We grow in our humility, our childlike dependence on God. Arrogant people seek other people to serve them. Humble people give service to others. Use your God-given strengths and abilities and power and agency for the good of others, as Jesus did by coming down to earth and dying on a cross for the sins of many and rising to new life, and as he continues to do as he ministers to us from heaven by the Holy Spirit. Use your strengths to serve others, especially the little children, whoever they are, the weak ones, the lowly ones, those with disabilities, those who are elderly, the brokenhearted, the hurting. Use your strength and power to serve them. Become like little children. Use your strength and power for the good of others. Let's pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, you're asking us to do something unnatural tonight, Lord. And so we pray that you'll help us by your Holy Spirit to deny ourselves, to entrust ourselves to Jesus, the Almighty One. Lord, we have some abilities, some strength, some power, in the communities and families and situations in which, which we move and which we mix. But before you, Lord, we are we, we are impoverished. We are spiritually bankrupt before you. Help us to see that clearly, 
to humble ourselves before you, to depend wholly on you in all situations in our life. And then, Lord, use us in your mighty hand to serve, to serve our church, to serve our schools, to serve our universities, to serve our workplaces, to serve our communities, to serve those with whom we live. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.